Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thank you for joining us here on today's episode. Happy to be with you once again as we talk about what's happening in rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, and we have another great show lined up for you here today. We're going to talk farm bill and issues in Washington, D.C. here in just a second with Jackie Fatka from AgriPulse. In segment two, we're going to talk with Greg Haynes, the CEO of Cattlemen's Beef Board and the Beef Checkoff. He just got back from the summer business meeting. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk demand for beef and more. Give it up here just a little bit. In segment three, we're going to talk with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics and get his thoughts on what's going on in the market trade right now. A lot of volatility, especially in the wheat markets tied to Russia, Ukraine. We have some weather concerns out there and more. We're going to talk about all that in segment three. And then speaking of wheat, coming up in segment four, We recently had the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Red Spring Wheat and Durham Tour, and we're going to get updates on that. Jason Jenkins, DTN Crops Editor, will join us at the end of the show today to discuss what he saw on the Wheat Tour last week. So a lot to get to here on today's AOA. Well, kicking things off, let's find out how things are going with the Farm Bill and other issues happening in Washington, D.C. Joining us on today's program, Jackie Fatka from AgriPulse. Jackie, it is great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's great to be back on to talk about Farm Bill. Well, obviously, Jackie, this Farm Bill, we heard a lot of uh, chatter about the fact that it doesn't sound like we're going to get this thing done by September 30th. That is the deadline here. Is that kind of what you're hearing? And and what is holding up the farm bill here on Capitol Hill? You know, as we look back, um, we we all knew that it was going to be a a very challenging task to accomplish a, a bill ahead of the September 30th deadline for renewing it. Um, And and a lot of that has to do with, you know, when Republicans came into the House this year, um, very, very narrow margin of Republican control, which has really made them have to um, decide which issues they're going to try to push forward. And so, you know, a lot of what we saw with even the the budget record, the, the budget talks earlier this year um, and, and what we were trying to do with the debt ceiling, you know, that really hampered a lot of the work. And some of those issues that we thought were maybe worked out um, with some of the, the House Republican conservatives request on changes to work requirements for SNAP, which remember, you know, SNAP is over uh, nearly 80 percent of the farm mm-hmm. bill itself. And so, you know, a lot of farmers think about their 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 crop payments and their crop insurance and the safety net but a big part of the farm bill discussion is also that nutrition title and the snap funding and so that fight we've had a couple times already and you know we are still not ready to get that fight out of the way you know just last week ahead of the august recess some of those fights were still coming up within the appropriations ag appropriations out of the house and so there's still some of those uh, hardline conservatives those more uh, they're they're trying to push uh, an agenda that's probably not 
able to be incorporated into the farm mm-hmm. bill because of the fact that it's it's just very divisive. And, you know, a farm bill always has to have members from both sides of the aisle. Sure. And, and, and so some of those things that they're wanting to do with uh, work requirements, even just slashing funding for the fruit and vegetable component of the women, infant and children part of that, you know, all of those are fights that came up with the appropriations bill that they ended up not even being able to bring up for a vote on the floor last week because there's so much controversy. So that does not play well with with seeing movement quickly in September. It's going to mean that we're going to see that drag on throughout the fall and and likely even into next year. And then you're in election year. So Mm -hmm. lots of of hurdles, I think, to, to get this farm bill across the finish line. I couldn't agree more. Well, and to your point, Jackie, we've heard a couple of times here this week, House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson still saying that he believes that there will be a markup of a farm bill here in September, but sounds like that he he's being maybe a little optimistic on that just with some of these roadblocks that are in front of us still. You know, I think um, I've been in the same room as GT a lot of times, talked with him a lot. And, you know, he, he he's he's an optimist and got to love him for being an optimist. But, you know, I think I think it's they, they might be able to mark something up um, mm-hmm. towards the end of September. But there is a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things from keeping them to get that across. You know, they yeah. were in um, House Ag Committee was in Minnesota yesterday for a field hearing on Wednesday. Uh, and so, you know, they're continuing to, to solicit information. They're hearing from it. Um, but, you know, there's there's also, you know, we talked about the the nutrition title, but even on the the title one, your commodity title, yeah. um, a lot of uh, unknowns um, from different ag groups on whether we update base acres, you know, a lot of calls to to take some conservation funds from the inflection, the uh, IRA, the Inflation yep. Reduction Act to, to put that back into some of the other changes. But there is just not a united front. We'll say that from whether that's from the nutrition side, even within the commodity groups, there's not a united front and the conservation groups, there's there's not necessarily a, a same page that everyone's playing mm-hmm. on. So any markup is going to have a lot of challenges in it too. And to your point there, the commodity title, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of divisiveness uh, between, you know, Southern lawmakers, Northern Midwest lawmakers on, on crop insurance and trying to find those those limits and those payment targets. And so it, it just feels like uh, trying to get something done by the deadline won't happen. But I have heard a few senators have been saying they think maybe the end of the year is a possibility. But to your point, if it doesn't get done by the end of the year, we get into next year, election year. Hard to say what election your politics could do to any of the work going on on Capitol Hill, Jackie. You know, I think one part, um, the Senate the Senate Democrat Ag Committee leader, Debbie Stabenow from Michigan, uh, long time uh, serves on the, the Ag Committee. She is not up for re-election. She decided not to run. And so... If there's one thing pushing into 2024 that that helps, it's her knowing that this is her last chance to really put her mark on um, on a farm bill. And so I think that that will matter. You know, Republicans in the Senate have fewer seats uh, challenged in the you know, they are probably able to to handle um whether they will go back to their districts and, and have to answer for a farm mm-hmm. bill not being passed, you know, I, I think that might be something that could encourage uh, movement in the Senate too. 
Um, and so I think we are kind of watching to see those dynamics in the House and, and what Republican leadership in the House wants to push through. You know, we've yeah. seen House Leader McCarthy say that he wants to get a farm bill. So coming into an election year, does he live to that promise of, yes, we need to prove that we can do something? I think we will wait and see on that as well. Well, Jackie, a lot of great thoughts uh, on what's going on in Capitol Hill with the farm bill. And I know we're uh, about out of time here, but we appreciate you joining us on the show. And I know as well, you mentioned to me, uh, we'll have to get you back on. I know you're working on some stuff regarding food safety. So we'll have to get you back on to talk about that here in the uh, coming weeks ahead, Jackie. Sounds good. Always great uh, to be on AOA. Congrats on the new rule, Jesse. Yeah, thank you very much. Jackie Facker there with AgriPulse joining us here today on AOA for updates on what's happening in Washington, D.C. regarding the farm bill. All right, well, coming up here, we are going to continue the program today. We're going to talk with Greg Haynes from the Cattlemen's Beef Board. That's next as we continue with more AOA right after this. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Join us during Dakota Fest this August as we talk about navigating volatile commodity and livestock markets. This is Jesse Allen, and I'll be hosting a live market panel on Wednesday, August 16th at noon in the Dakota Fest Education Center on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. I'll be joined for market analysis by Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing and Ross Nadwick of Van Onen Company as we get you up to speed on the dynamics and continued volatility in the grain and livestock markets. We've continued to see just how volatile things can be with weather impacting grains and a cattle market that continues to soar higher and higher. How do we navigate this volatility, manage our risk, and make a profit? We'll discuss that and much more during our marketing panel, Navigating Volatile Commodity and Livestock Markets during Dakota Fest, coming up on Wednesday, August 16th at noon on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. We hope you can join us. At the Veterans Health Administration, we provide life-changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand hand to provide full patient-centered care and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes 
Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, and here the uh, last few episodes of the program. I've been uh, doing my best to catch up with folks throughout the ag industry who I've gotten to know over the last few years, and well, we continue to do that as we move forward here throughout the month of August. Well, one of those folks that's joining us right now here on the program, he is uh, someone I've been talking to for quite some time. Happy to have him on the show with us. He is the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, the Beef Checkoff. Greg Haynes is with us here today. Greg, it's great to have you on AOA. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It's always good talking with you. So, no, thanks. Well, let's dive in, Greg, and talk about a few different things going on in the beef industry. And first off, I know uh, the recent summer business meeting in San Diego, California, held at the end of July. And I know a lot of folks throughout the uh, beef cattle industry were there. That's where a lot of the business gets done for the industry for the calendar year and the fiscal year and et cetera, et cetera. So get us up to speed, Greg. What were some of the highlights that came out of that summer business meeting? Okay. Yeah, no, we just had it last week. Hard to believe. Um, but that meeting is really a really important one for the checkoff. So this is the meeting where we get um, feedback from the producers. So we have uh, committees. There's six committees that kind of cover six different And again, I do apologize. A few technical difficulties here on AOA. We're working to get Greg Haynes back with us here on the program this morning. Jesse Allen with you here. And again, uh, do apologize. Sometimes technology doesn't want to work the way we want it to work. Take a look at a few other news headlines here real quick while we get reconnected with Greg. The Renewable Fuels Association sent a letter this week to Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan regarding the E15 RVP petition from several Midwest governors. The association wants Regan and his agency to finalize its regulations accepting the petition of eight Midwest governors that would reduce evaporative emissions and allow summertime sales of the lower cost, low carbon E15 fuel blend in their states. And Cooper said, Jeff Cooper, RFA president and CEO said, quote, three months have passed since EPA's public comment period ended and more than a year has passed since EPA's statutory deadline to promulgate a final rule approving the governor's petition, end quote. So 
A lot of things going on. Looking to see if EPA will approve that E15 petition from Midwest governors. All right, I believe we have Greg Haynes, the CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board, back with us here live. Greg, are you back with us? I am back. Yes, sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened. Gotta love technology. Hey, sometimes technology, we just got to roll with it, roll with the punches. Well, we lost you right as you were diving in to talk about the summer business meeting last week. So can you uh, start back with uh, talking about what we saw at the summer business meeting last week? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so this meeting, you know, as I mentioned, is a really important meeting for the checkout programs because all the contractors who are implementing those programs each year are presenting to committees made up of producer leaders. So there's about 40 uh, producers on each of these committees. There are six of them. They represent CBB and Federation of State Beef Council um, members. And so the, the uh, contractors then give an update of their programs and they get feedback back from those producers and they also get scores. So the contractors now will take this information back and they'll update or tweak their programs to kind of address any uh, comments or, or ideas that the producers had. And then they're going to bring those final proposals back at the beginning of September uh, to the Beef Operating Committee, which will then make the funding decision. So this is really a key point for you know, that producer impact uh, input into the programs and just make sure that we're really um, providing you know, the things that producers think are important and will help drive demand for beef. Well, thinking about demand for beef, Greg, I know demand has uh, still been pretty robust here the last uh, couple of years, uh, whether we're talking domestically or international markets, that demand ha has been pretty good for beef, hasn't it? Yeah, we've been pretty excited about that. And I think that's a testament to just the hard work that the industry has put into it. It's like demand just doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's like something that you have to build and create that. And beef is really the premier protein. You know, it's really seen as being kind of the uh, highest quality, best tasting. It's obviously the most expensive of the proteins. But despite those high prices, consumers see it as being a value because the quality and the taste, nutrition and everything is so good. So we're excited about that. We know that prices are going to be getting higher over the next few years as supplies get tight. And I think that's when it's going to be especially important to keep that messaging and that promotion and program work out there because it'll be easy for consumers to try to step down to other proteins. And we don't want them to do that. We want to make sure that they know beef is the best, healthiest, you know, tastiest product for them. And so we've got to keep that in front of them when they're going to be getting hit by a lot of other messages um, going out there. So. It's exciting. And then, like you said, kind of on the international side, too, beef demand just continues to go up in these in these different markets. Um, there's a lot of new markets that are really starting to take off. If you look on the African continent and in Southeast Africa, these countries or areas have huge populations and they've got a growing economy and a growing middle class. And as we just mentioned, like here in the U.S., beef is kind of the premium protein. Everybody wants to step up and move to that. And so there's a lot of opportunities in these international markets to um, deliver, you know, delicious American beef there as well. And it's kind of interesting because most of these markets take different cuts that we don't consume. So cuts that we don't typically like or are very low value become a higher demand and higher value in those markets. So it really helps us utilize the, the whole carcass and bring value back. 
Well, Greg, I know as well here uh, at home, you mentioned some great thoughts there with demand. I know that the Beef Checkoff, you guys have been doing some different campaigns targeted at consumers to try and educate consumers on high-quality beef cuts. Haven't you been uh, working on some of that here this summer? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know, I think everybody knows the Beef That's What's For Dinner campaign. That's you know, kind of our co- iconic, you know, main message. Um, but starting this year, we've started kind of a sub program under that, which is Together We Bring More. And so this is really targeted towards consumers in different areas, you know, especially high population areas. And this builds on the research that we've done that shows, again, that consumers associate beef with kind of special occasions and special meals, things like that. So we're trying to really leverage that and demonstrate how, yeah, you know, beef makes any kind of event or any kind of occasion special and meaningful. So trying to flip that a little bit and highlight that point and getting consumers to to do that, you know, have beef and it makes just a uh, an average meal something special. So that's going to be going out, um, has been starting and will be going over the next few years. So. Again, that'll be kind of unique. It'll be targeted to a lot of areas that are high population densities, um, good areas there. Well, Greg, we appreciate the time with us here today on AOA. We fought through a few technical glitches there. Thanks for joining us, and I'll look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Yep, thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. Greg Haynes with the Cattleman's Beef Board. Coming up next, we'll take a look at what's going on in the markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We're back with more AOA right after this. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416. For 24-hour response, call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mixed today. Soybeans higher, corn and wheat lower after yesterday's big risk-off sell-off. Stock futures also continued to come under pressure overnight as Treasury yields continued to rise on that Fitch's downgrade of the U.S. credit. Crude oil prices are also bouncing this morning after collapsing yesterday. They're up a little over 1% currently. StoneX's August customer survey revealed expectations that this year's corn crop will produce 15.274 billion bushels on a yield of 177 bushels per acre. Using USDA's demand numbers, that would leave ending stocks at 2.216 billion bushels in the 23-24 marketing year, which would be a 15.3 stocks-to-use ratio. StoneX puts the soybean crop at 4.173 billion bushels on a yield of 50.5 bushels per acre. That would be expected to drop ending stocks to 177 million bushels, or a 4.2% of expected usage. Now, unlike corn, that would be very tight stocks over the coming year. Corn and soybean fundamentals are going in different directions due to acreage and demand trends. 
Paris million wheat futures are now down for their eighth consecutive day. The recent plunge in wheat prices has encouraged end users to get coverage. Algeria and Tunisia bought a combined total of close to 1 million metric tons in the past few days, and Bangladesh is seeking wheat. Egypt came in and bought 360,000 metric tons of wheat, with Russia supplying 300,000 of that, and Romania supplying the balance. Now, the FOB price was up from the past few weeks at 249 to 250 per metric ton. Russia reportedly offered as much as 1.7 million metric tons on that tender. The VIX rose above 17 to its highest level since June 1st overnight, and it continues to trade near that level this morning. While the dollar index is also trading higher after probing to fresh nearly four-week highs earlier in the session. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, we've been seeing volatile commodity markets here the last couple of weeks, especially as we've turned the calendar from July to August, whether it be world events, Russia, Ukraine, for instance, or weather concerns or more. There's a lot of things that are driving the commodity markets and a lot of volatility in the grains to the downside. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get perspective and and look big picture here on AOA today. Joining us now, Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Great to be on with you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Thank you. Well, let's dive in and let's talk about some of this volatility, Mike. And I know in the case of the wheat market, a lot of this volatility has been tied to the Russia-Ukraine situation. I know a lot of the bombings of port infrastructure in Ukraine. And I know uh, some stories out as well here on Thursday morning about Romania uh, tying into this market trade action as well. Get us up to speed. Just uh, what what is happening here that is driving this volatility in wheat that is seemingly pulling on some of the other grains, Mike? Well, the, the natural path of least resistance with the war intensifying and Russia targeting the grain corridor and targeting grain terminals in the Black Sea is to the mindset that the trade should be having that we're going to see tighter and tighter supplies and those supplies out of Ukraine are essentially going to be frozen and trapped in Ukraine and not be able to get to the export market. But we've had a lot of news and a lot of commentary, whether it's from Russia saying they'll come back into the grain initiative if their demands are met. Uh, there's a peace talk uh, conference going on right now uh, with Ukraine there. The United States is there, but Russia is not there. Um, Romania is saying that they're going to have 30 vessels that are lined up at the port 
uh, on the Danube River uh, in the south uh, eastern part, it would be of Romania, southwestern part of Ukraine that's going to be able to take on 30 ships and get those passed and let them get up the Danube River to get into Eastern Europe. But then you also have, Jesse, a situation where Poland and five other countries in, in Eastern Europe don't really want Ukrainian grain coming as they harvest their winter crops at this point. So the trade, I think, has simplified their mindset with all of this, drinking this news day in and day out through a fire hose. They just simply put their mindset back to, okay, what's the price of Paris wheat and corn doing? What's the price of cash wheat doing in some of these key ports? And, and I think that's probably why we've been able to fall so dramatically. And, and I think that's part of it. The other part is the issue with the Federal Reserve and the debt downgrade uh, in the United States. It has, both of those things have reignited the dollar bull and we're up about three and a half percent in the dollar index uh, since right before the Federal Reserve meeting and still trying to go higher. Well, another thought with the wheat trade, you mentioned Paris milling wheat and corn futures and starting to see a break there. I know you and I talked about this uh, here before we went on the air and obviously Russian wheat values have been very cheap. They've probably been the cheapest on the world market outside of Ukraine. And so maybe starting to see Paris futures come down towards Russian prices. We know U.S. wheat has been pretty expensive, and we kind of priced ourselves out of the world market, haven't we, Mike? Yeah, we have, and, and you bring up a huge point, and, and I think this is where the Paris futures this week has gapped lower, and I think this has much more to do with some of the other fundamentals out there in the world of the corn market. I think, number one, I think the trade thinks the corn crop is made. Um, I, I would disagree with that mindset because of the clients that I talk to in Illinois, in South Central Nebraska, in Missouri, uh, even in South Central and, and North Central Iowa. One client told me earlier this week he was not going to sell any more cash corner beans in Iowa until he saw some rains. And so while the crop maybe isn't a 2012 disaster, I think it's a stretch to get us up to that 173.3 yield from last year. And I, I would say I'm a long way away from USDA's current number of around 177.5. I think the other thing too, Jesse, that's starting to put some daylight on, on the news and make some more understanding is this fighting between the United States and Mexico, I mm -hmm. think starting to take a real, real turn for the worse. And I noticed the golf price of corn, the basis has gone from a buck 26 about a week and a half ago down to 45, 46 cents this week. I think that's part of the reason why we're losing some demand here, even though weekly export sales in corn were within the trade ranges. And I was going to say, demand has been such an issue here. And we look at this week's weekly export sales numbers. Uh, to your point there, I mean, we've been seeing China step back in for some U.S. soybeans for the 23-24 marketing year. That's encouraging. But overall, demand for U.S. commodities has been pretty sour here the last few um, months, Mike, hasn't it? Yeah, and that's the overriding theme, I think, in the trade. And that's why it's a supply and weather-driven market. We can't get away from that. We haven't been able to get away from that since May of last year. And, you know, wheat export sales this morning, um, 
about 40% above the 40, uh, the four week average. And, and China was our number one buyer. And, and that was a really welcome thing to see. China also put out some new numbers or the USDA ag attache put out some new numbers, I should say about China and their meat volume imports are up 10% grain, four and a half soybeans, 13.6 and veg oil up 139% year to date. So we've got the demand. It's just not us demand right now. And that goes back to those macro fundamentals in part. Well, Mike, I know a lot of farmer disappointment here with the recent rally. Looks like that recent grain rally has come to an end. And I know some folks maybe didn't sell as much as they wanted to. And I think that goes back to watching the macros and the the fundamentals that, that you talk about and managing that risk. It's always important to try and manage that risk and take some emotion out of your marketing, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, it is. And I think that's where we have seen, uh, generally speaking, the last two years, roughly, this weather supply driven market rally take it, take an impact the futures market. If, we, if we're going to see something sold, it's usually the futures. The cash market has held up very nicely. I'm in track for the same mindset going forward through this upcoming harvest year. I think the world stocks of wheat being at a seven-year low means something. And as I said before, I don't think that corn yield is as high as maybe the trade is pegging. I think we could easily be below a two billion bushel carryover this coming year, even with some loss in demand and exports. Mike, I know uh, the next uh, milestone in front of us for the grains and a little bit for livestock, too, is the next WASDE report, the August World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates, I believe, coming up here on August 11th. And you know, as you think about looking ahead to that report, what are some things we could potentially see from USDA in that report in your mind? Yeah, must have from my standpoint, Jesse, especially with the beans back, trying to go higher on some lighter rains, more ring of fire type looking rains, less coverage, less intense rainfall and in updated models. I think the trade's finally feeling like it's going to be hard to push a 50 bushel national yield. And if that's the case, we kind of have to have that because the beans have divorced themselves. They're still inverted in the market. August is still above the November. And we see that in the product markets. Product markets are holding up nicely, especially the meal. So I think what we want to do in that WASDE report and the beans especially is feed the bull because we do have a big difference between the soy complex and the grains right now as far as how the funds are trading it. Mike, I want to ask you about the cattle market here real quick as well. I know with the case of fats and feeders, it's been a little choppy as of late. Cash cattle activity was slow last week, and the, the assumption is that we need to see more cash activity here to round out this week. What's your thoughts overall on this cattle trade right now? I think that's spot on because we are heading into that packer buying time period of that last summer grilling season weekend here for the for the 2023 summer grilling seasonal, Jesse. And with the equities market starting to react negatively to the downgrade by the Fitch Ratings Agency and now the hog sector starting to give up some of its gains as we tail kind of go into the tail end of the belly seasonal, that BLT seasonal, as I like to call it. The cattle could lose some of their key support areas. So watching those old lows from about three weeks ago, I think are extremely important in the cattle and watching the cash cattle feeder cattle market in the index is going to be extremely important here. We need the cash to continue to support if we lose some of these other uh, features in this market. Wondering if we see some changes to feed usage in the WASDE report coming up on the corn side, if that could have any impact on the, on the cattle market at all, or at least on, on corn prices, maybe let folks out in cattle country uh, take care of some feed needs possibly, Mike? Yeah, the danger about the WASDE report is that the, the, the 
the feed and residual is kind of the bucket. It's whatever's left over they put in feed and residual. And so they look at exports and the other demand factors and then they then they see what's left. And then that's usually the feed and residual. So I kind of take that with a grain of salt, but I do think that the weight's still being elevated. We should still have good feed demand as we get into maybe the first quarter of 2024. And then it starts to lighten up from what I can tell, Jesse. Mike, we got about a minute and a half here. I want to ask you the energies. You mentioned stock market a little bit. Crude oil, though, we've been watching crude rally, hovered around $80 a barrel. I thought maybe it was going to break again uh, after Wednesday's session, but we're back to trading right around 80 again on Thursday. And I feel like crude's kind of that canary in the coal mine here within all of our trade right now, Mike. Yeah, you've got a really good sense of the supply side of the market because Saudi Arabia came out about an hour before we went on air and said they're going to extend their voluntary oil cut of a million barrels a day all the way into September. And I think that really shored up the uh, crude oil market. And I think this is where, as you say, the supply side of the equation continues to be the key. And as long as the crude oil market stays around 80, ethanol demand stays strong. I think the downside in the cash corn market is pretty limited because we, I think, factored in a lot of negativity. And at this price level in these corn, probably running that 2.2, 2.3 billion bushel carryover already. Well, Mike, great thoughts. I know if folks uh, want to take a look at your analysis, get connected with you, I know they could do that easily online, can't they, Mike? Yeah, please go to globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. We've got a product services brochure there. You can look at all of our services and prices and then sign up for a trial as well. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for giving us some perspective into the commodity and livestock markets here on AOA. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate you having me, sir. Coming up next here on AOA, we're going to talk about some of the supply concerns with the spring wheat crop. We're going to get a recap of last week's Wheat Quality Council Spring Wheat Tour in the Northern Plains. Jason Jenkins, DTN Crops Editor, will join us next here on AOA. You've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half 
don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Join us during Dakota Fest this August as we talk about navigating volatile commodity and livestock markets. This is Jesse Allen, and I'll be hosting a live market panel on Wednesday, August 16th at noon in the Dakota Fest Education Center on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. I'll be joined for market analysis by Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing and Ross Nadwick of Van Onen Company as we get you up to speed on the dynamics and continued volatility in the grain and livestock markets. We've continued to see just how volatile things can be with weather impacting grains and a cattle market that continues to soar higher and higher. How do we navigate this volatility, manage our risk, and make a profit? We'll discuss that and much more during our marketing panel, Navigating Volatile Commodity and Livestock Markets during Dakota Fest, coming up on Wednesday, August 16th at noon on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. We hope you can join us. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA as we continue here on today's program. Well, typically the month of August is a time when we start to see various crop tours throughout much of the Midwest to give us an idea of how the corded soybean crop is looking as we start to near the finish line. Well, here last week as we wrapped up the month of July, we had the annual Wheat Quality Council, Hard Spring Wheat and Durham Tour across North Dakota and parts of Minnesota. Well, joining us now, he was on that tour. He's going to give us a firsthand look at how things are shaping up in parts of the Northern Plains. Jason Jenkins, DTN Crops Editor, is joining us here on the show today. Jason, thanks so much for being on AOA with us. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me today, Jesse. Well, let's jump right in here, Jason. Obviously, again, last week you were on that tour. Sounded like found a slightly lower yield than last year and variable conditions throughout. And I have to think uh, for many of our spring wheat growers across the northern plains, the last couple of years have been pretty difficult between drought and then a lot of rain, et cetera, et cetera. Get us up to speed on, on what you guys found on that tour last week across North Dakota. Yeah, Jesse. So uh, in, in 2021, uh, North Dakota definitely did have drought condition. And uh, when the tour went through, uh, estimated average yield was uh, just slightly over 29 bushels an acre. Uh, so it was definitely a down year for down year for wheat uh, because of the drought that was impacting that region. However, in 2022, there was a good bounce bounce back, um, and actually uh, uh, the highest yield that they'd ever uh, had almost on the. Uh, um, on the wheat tour uh, occurred. It was a little over 49 bushels is what they came up with uh, during that yield estimate last year. So we really didn't know what to expect going in. Dave Green uh, with the Wheat Quality Council told me that he never did worry about what uh, what the crop looked like until he got there. He wanted to see it you know, with his own eyes and so as we started out, uh, we all kind of gathered uh, uh, in Fargo uh, on Monday the 24th, and then we headed out on the 25th after getting some training, uh, learning how to estimate yield potential uh, in the fields, uh, learning uh, what diseases look like, what pest pressures we might see, um, how to calculate the yield, all that stuff. And so we headed out. And, uh, honestly, you know, as we went across the state, uh, we saw wheat in various conditions, um, it was a variable, a variable crop, um, and a lot of that just depended on uh, where you were and whether you got precipitation. Um, of course, North Dakota uh, experienced some above-average temperatures back in May and into the first part of June that kind of hampered the crop. Uh, you know, yield potential uh, was was lowered uh, in some areas because of that. However, you know, uh, they had a long winter. They had a lot of snow. I talked to one farmer. Mm -hmm. He uh, he said he'd had 112 uh, inches of snow, and so and, and it melted. It didn't run off. It melted and seeped in, and so a lot of subsoil moisture was available to the crop. And so, if you planted, if you were able to get in early. Uh, it actually turned out to be a detriment because then your crop was was growing and you hit that you know that hot temperature, right? That came in in May and the first yeah. part of June. It was hot and dry, and so the crop was those crops were a lot shorter, and uh, you know they started heading out, you know, trying to make trying to make uh, some some wheat before before they got bigger, um, and because of that, you know those those fields didn't have quite the yield as maybe some that were planted even just two weeks later, you know, they, and that's what made the difference. And of course, if you've, if you've gotten the rain, much like across the corn belt uh, in, in corn and bean country right now, you know, if, if you're getting, catching a rain every, you know, five to seven days, you know, your crop might be looking a lot better than, you know, the guy 15 miles from you 
uh, who hasn't caught those same rains. Yeah. And to your point, we've, we've heard a lot about some of that crop uh, heading out a little bit early that was just too dry. And so variability definitely key. And I believe what was the final estimate was 47.4 bushels per acre for this year's crop. Is that right, Jason? Yeah. So uh, after we, we, so we spend three days up there, we go yeah. on eight different, eight different routes starting in Fargo, Fargo to Bismarck, Bismarck to Devil's Lake, Devil's Lake back to Fargo, uh, all these cars. We had 14 different cars, almost 60 people um, out there evaluating fields. You know, you'd stop every 10 to 15 miles, something like that, find a field, get out and evaluate it. And yeah, uh, when it was all said and done, we looked at um, over 340 fields, 343 to be exact. And uh, for the for the hard spring wheat, um, it was forty seven point four uh, was the bushels per acre. Uh, Durham, we did run into some Durham, especially in the northwest part of the state. Uh, Twenty one of those fields uh, we looked at, and that average came out to forty three point nine bushels an acre. So USDA numbers had come out at the beginning or middle of uh, July, based on July one condition. Uh, they estimated for North Dakota that the, the spring wheat was going to average 47. So we kind of felt like when we came up with 47.4 as part of the uh, Wheat Quality Council's tour, that um, you know uh, the, the numbers were jiving. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be a re- not going to be a record crop in North Dakota this year. But uh, I think you know as a whole, it's going to be an average crop and one that the uh, that, that you know the folks are going to be happy with. Well, and on your travels as well, or when you talk to folks who are in other vehicles on different routes, you mentioned uh, got a little training to look for diseases. Did you see much of the way of disease or pest pressure out in the fields? You know, that that right there was you know, one, I guess if you're going to say that there's a benefit of dry condition is, you know, the, the uh, you know, the fungal diseases and, and, and the molds and things that you get with rain, you know, they just weren't present. So, yes, we did see some uh, some fusarium head blight or scab. Um, there was a little bit of smut and some, you know, some leaf streaks some rust, you know, those those sorts of things did exist in pockets. But it certainly wasn't widespread. Um, as for pest pressure, um you know, grasshoppers, of course, are always a big one that people are looking for. And um, I can say in my own experience, and, and no one really on the tour um, came across any fields that had been really super impacted. I know what, if you've been on social media, you've seen the, the, the hordes of locusts that have attacked mm-hmm. uh, some, field, some fields up in Canada. Uh, nothing like that did we see. Um, there was only really one field that I walked in the entire time I was there that, you know, as you walked in, you were kicking up, you know, scores of grasshoppers all at once other than that you know pest pressure seemed to be pretty low as well well we appreciate the insight and thank you for joining us here today with that dtn crops editor jason jenkins we look forward to catching up with you again soon thanks so much for joining us today on aoa thanks for having me jesse i appreciate it and great insight there from Jason. I know him and his colleagues at DTN, they're going to have their digital yield tour coming up here in a few days. And I know we're going to get insights from that tour as well as uh, crop tour season, whether virtually or boots on the ground, really gets going here in the month of August. Well, that's going to do it for the show here today. Thank you for joining us, making us part of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. 
Join us during Dakota Fest this August as we talk about navigating volatile commodity and livestock markets. This is Jesse Allen, and I'll be hosting a live market panel on Wednesday, August 16th at noon in the Dakota Fest Education Center on the grounds in Mitchell. I'll be joined for market analysis by Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing and Ross Nadwick of Van Onnen Company as we get you up to speed on the dynamics and continued volatility in the grain and livestock markets. Join us Wednesday, August 16th at noon during Dakota Fest. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite.